My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Unfortunately, today it seems all too easy to succumb to the ills of the world. There are numerous ways people fall victim to their vices. Sometimes they're forced or coerced, and it's easy to let that crush you. What's difficult is the fight. The fight to keep your head above the slimy, ephemeral ooze of deciduous detritus. Drugs, alcohol, recreational, or pharmaceutical. Today, we speak to a man who's turned his back on a nasty prescription pill addiction and embraced his life as a father, comedian, author, and self-made man. He's since getting clean and sober, creating two podcasts alongside fellow comedians and friends, and channeled his sordid past into his brilliant brand new book titled On Perks. The hilarious and inspiring Mike Rainey joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in in and enjoy this conversation with Mike Rainey. From about summer of 2012 until I guess around spring of 2015, I was whacked on painkillers. Right before I got hooked on painkillers, I'd had them every now and again before and they never really took. But about two weeks before I I was prescribed painkillers, I had sworn off any drugs or alcohol. I had a vicious bender in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and it was the worst one to date. And I was like, I'm definitely done with everything now. Like this, I ended up leaving a family barbecue to go to Atlantic City on a whim, and I ended up smoking crack. I was a relatively sound body, but whacked on painkillers. I'm on perks, popping them beans. I'm off the crack like a motherfucking fan. Yeah, yeah, repping the team. Ain't got a care in the world, but the birds on the screen. I'm in the city of bodily love. Popping the perky, I keep me a dub. At Disney with Mickey, I'm up in the club. I ain't even took a shit in a month. Yeah, stinking it, bitch. Mikey buckets, make it rain in it, bitch. P-U-S-S-Y, sucking me dry, and I'm leaving a stain in it, bitch. Yeah, I'm on perks. When I'm on the phone or when I'm at work, whether I'm home or even at church, I'm on perks, on perks, on perks. I'm on perks. I'm on 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with me today is a very special guest. He's someone that I've been a fan of for quite a while, and it's a privilege to have him here on the show. He is an author, a podcaster, and a comedian. And we're going to be talking about his latest book today. It is titled On Perks, the great Mike Rainey. From the podcast Dad Me and Little Stinkers joins us here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. What's up, Mike? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate this. Dude, I appreciate it. And I got to say, if folks haven't listened to Dad Me, Little Stinkers, or really any of the podcasts that you frequently guest on yet, you're missing out, okay? You should make Mike one of your podcasts in your daily, weekly listen, right? You know, Dad Meat, Little Stinkers. I got to say right off the bat, Dad Meat is a very inspirational podcast, even though you guys border on buffoonery and ridiculousness. <laughs> there's a through line of people getting their shit together and, uh, you know, owning up to what it means to be successful in life in many ways. I think this book is such an amazing example of that because as you've, I think you said this on an episode of Dad Meat, you sort of took what could have been a really, you know, a bummer for most people and turned it into something really fun that you can share with people and maybe even inspire others who have gone through similar trials and tribulations. But before we get into the book itself, do you want to tell people a little bit about how this book came to be and, you know, a little bit about who you are, Mike? I love to, man. From about summer of 2012 until I guess around spring of 2015, I was whacked on painkillers. And right before I got hooked on painkillers, I'd had them every now and again before, and they never really took. But about two weeks before I I was prescribed painkillers, I had sworn off any drugs or alcohol. I had a vicious bender in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and it was the worst one to date. And I was like, I'm definitely done with everything now. Like this, it was embarrassing, man. I mean, I was, I ended up leaving a family barbecue to go to Atlantic city on a whim. And I ended up smoking crack, <laughs> which I didn't foresee at all. And uh, yeah, that was in my mind, that was it for me. Now, lo and behold, about two weeks later, I ended up hurting my back at work. I went to the doctor and two of my discs had ruptured and went out the door with a uh, a nice little prescription for Percocet. And now that I had nothing else to fall back on because I had made a big deal of everything, saying to my wife, like, I'm done with booze, because booze was my biggest problem for years. And Coke was a massive problem, too. I ended up going to rehab for both of those in 2006. But this is 2012. I'd sworn off everything. But once I got my prescription for Percocet, it's like, all right, I have a license to do this shit now. So now that I had the license, I was like, all right, I'm going to take full advantage of this. And my life revolved around painkillers for close to three years. And unfortunately, as bad as things got with painkillers, perhaps the worst aspect of being addicted to opioids was being on Facebook 24-7 and posting just hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of the most regrettable Facebook updates that I could possibly muster. And even though I got off pills... And I've been doing pretty well for, for a number of years now. They kept creeping up. You know how on Facebook it'll say, like, on this date in 2012, you posted this. Well, every day it was just post after post of the most embarrassing shit that I could imagine. And I thought about deleting them at first, but then there were just so many that kept popping up. I was like, all right, 
let me see if I can just compile these and do something with it. So that's what this book on perks ended up becoming. It's just a compilation of all those painkiller posts paired with present day analyses of what either was going on or what I perceived to be going on, because some of them are crystal clear. Then there's other ones where I'm just like, I have no idea what the fuck was going on that day. Yeah, I have an example right here that I'd like you to explain. And maybe this is local to Philly, Delco, that area. But you said, what are the details behind the alleged mummer's rape? What is that? I mean, even your I, I even know. your explanation is vague, too. What's the Mummers Parade? I've only heard this mention. I have no concept of what it is. I live in Connecticut. We have no Mummers Parade. What is that? All right. So it's a day-long parade where thousands of people, either from or with some association to South Philly's Mummer community, which is where a bunch of like dudes that would probably sucker punch you at a football game dress up in the brightest, frilliest outfits and dance around while calling you gay. <laughs> and it's like 12 hours of that. And it can be fun for people. I get it. Everybody goes, everybody drinks. There's a lot of like public urination and it's, you know, people have had, I've have had good times there, but it's, it's not an event that like I really take to anymore just because I don't party that hard anymore. But yeah, it's the kind of thing where, I don't know. I guess all kinds of debauchery will happen. And I have no recollection of there being a mummer's rape, but I'm sure there was one if I had, if it had moved me enough to even comment on an old Facebook. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're scratching your head more than just that post, but take us back to the moment this all went down. I mean, unfortunately, our medical system, I mean, I don't know how you feel about the medical system. I'm sure you're grateful to some extent. I mean, you didn't want those discs to be ruptured and have no sort of reprise from that pain. But I mean, the people I've talked to on the show range from doctors to, you know, authors, journalists, and it definitely feels like the medical industry in general doesn't have the patient's best interest in mind. I mean, is that true to your experience, you know, given what happened? I mean, no doubt. I mean, I was fortunate. I had health insurance at the time. I don't right now. Like I think I might've broken my thumb the other night at a stain and Godsmack concert, which is right on par for somebody (laughs) who's a painkiller addict. But you know, I just got to deal with it right now because I mean, I don't have insurance. Whereas in 2012, I was very fortunate in that I had insurance. So I was able to get treatment for it. However, you know, after the surgery, which I'm glad that I got, the answer from the doctor that I saw, which says, here, take these painkillers. And as long as I kept reporting back that I had pain, there were no questions asked. In In the three years that I was going there, it was like clockwork. I would just call and say, like, hey, can I come pick up a prescription? And it would be waiting there for me the next day. The reality was I might have needed pills for, like, a two-week period. After that, You know, it was just very easy to convince myself that I was enduring enough back pain to necessitate the pills. Mm. Realistically, once I got off of them, I I rarely have back pain now. And it's I just have flexibility issues. But, you know, in hindsight, I wish that my doctor could have said at some point, like, look, this is not going to be something that I'm going to do for you long term. I think you need to look into some other options besides just constantly throwing pills down your throat. Mm. And one of the things that I got into in, I think it was like 2017 was jujitsu, which in strengthening like my core and my back, you know, that did much more for me than any painkillers or any kind of anything else that, that I had tried, you know, and I just didn't know, like part of me was like, you know, I'm a drug addict because, you know, I just love doing drugs, man. You know, I would have begged for those things 
you know, if my wife wasn't, if it didn't become apparent that I was like on the verge of losing my family, I would have begged for those things, you know, every month for as long as I lived. However, you know, it's just unfortunate that it's way too easy to to ask for them, to get them and to not be given, you know, to not have somebody sit you down and say like, look, man, you really need to figure out something else long term because this is not sustainable. But there was none of that. And that's, you know, one of the biggest issues I have. And I know like a lot of other people are dealing with that shit now, too, in right. that you might know that there probably are some other options, but, you know, it would be nice to have somebody, you know, you know, specifically a doctor, the guy who's giving you all this shit to sit you down and say, like, look, let's figure something else out. Right. Well, it definitely seems like the system is incentivized or geared towards having people spiral out and then be you know, sucked back up into the whole system through the rehabs. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it, as someone who you said earlier, you went to rehab for alcohol and cocaine. I mean, did it feel like a lot of those people were in and out? I mean, did, what was the rehabilitation like even back then? Probably not great. I got lucky because when I went to rehab in, I live in Delco, which is a suburb of Philly, which is like right outside, right? I live like a few blocks from Philadelphia airport. And right now Philly is just getting fucking ravaged in the opioid crisis. However, when I went to rehab in 2006, I mean, it was a fraction of what it was then. My dad had called the rehab closest to me, and fortunately, they had a bed. And instantly, I got approved by the county for, I think it was 17 days, which I know there's no chance that would happen right now, considering how bad the opioid crisis is. So I got very lucky. So once I got in there, I kind of got what I needed because I really, you know, I needed, you know, I needed round-the-clock, round-the-clock break from what I was currently used to, which was just you know, just engaging in debauchery, just surrounding myself with shitty people, just not taking the time to really put my best interest at heart or my family's best interest at heart. So when I got to rehab, the care that I got at rehab, it was good. Like, I feel like I really lucked out and I got what I needed there. But I would hear stories of people going in and out of there saying that, you know, this is their fourth, fifth time. Some people even more. And, you know, I didn't want to be one of those people. And even though there were times where, after I got out of rehab where I thought, fuck, maybe I should go back because shit's really getting out of control again. I knew the drill and I knew that it's really, you know, I don't know how beneficial it would have been for me to go back into there and get the same thing over again. Like I knew what I needed to do and it just took me forever to kind of get that under control and figure out, you know, exactly like some kind of build my own kind of framework around that because, you know, it, you know, it can be what you make it. You know, there's sometimes I hear horror stories of people saying they went in and they got worse. You know, people saying, you know, they met other addicts and they just became worse addicts. Right. Right. I, I mean, it's not great up here either. I, I recently noticed a uptick in these vans that are like mobile. I guess when someone's having an overdose, these vans kind of rush in with Narcan and, you know, help people find resources and whatnot. Yeah, that's great that that's out there, but I mean, those are the sort of red blood cells, right? When you see right. more and more of them, you know there's a problem, right? The mm -hmm. body's trying to fight this, you know, illness, and here we have, you know, maybe potential solutions popping up, but yeah, I mean, I've been to Philadelphia. Kensington obviously is ground zero for, you know, this sort of crisis. It's mm -hmm. not much better on the West Coast in Portland. But as somebody who's been through that experience, I mean, can you speak to what it's like to be in this sort of opioid, you know, 
chase really like is it as they describe it chasing the dragon i mean me i'm a pothead that's as far as Mm -hmm. i've ever really gone i know there's listeners who are recovering addicts sober now and podcasts become their addiction right i mean i'm sure you felt that way to some extent when you got into podcasting Mm -hmm. right like podcasting becomes an addiction but what was that like i mean chasing that high with percocets it's exhausting man it felt like a never-ending like scumbag relay race because even though i was getting (laughs) dude i was getting like anywhere between i had a prescription for 120 anywhere between 120 and 180 a month. Like there were times where like I legitimately hurt my back again at one point and then my prescription got up to 180 painkillers. And then after that, I was working two jobs and I reached a certain point where it's just like, okay, my prescription isn't enough. I need to buy more. And at that point, that's when like the scumbag relay race started where it's like, okay, you got to call this guy. And then from that guy, it's like, he's got to meet with this guy. And then you're driving all around, you're meeting these people And at that point, that's where like it really starts to get hammered home. Like this is fucked up and this is something that's not normal. And this is far worse than anything I've experienced before because, you know, I was just putting so many different people at risk. I was working six, seven days a week, two jobs, but, you know, every spare dollar I had was going to pills. So it wasn't in anybody's best interest, whether it was mine or my family's best interest. And on top of that, too, I'm driving fucked up, feeling fucked up. You know, if I don't have pills, you know, I start not feeling good, then that's fucked up. And I'm at minimum irritable and I got to try to lie my way out of this to the people around me. And it's like I got a lot of my bosses. I'm disappearing for long periods of time. It's just if I had put if I had to sum up being addicted to opioids during that time with one word, I would just say exhausting. It's just it's from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. It's all that I would think about. And it got to a point where it wasn't even enjoyable anymore. I'm not going to lie. Like when I first started with, with perks, like it was incredible. All I did was lay on the couch all summer, watch the Olympics, watch documentaries. I was in heaven. But then I think, and you could see it too, in, in a lot of the posts that I ended up putting on Facebook and a bunch of them made it into the book on perks. You can kind of see like a deterioration where the fun party time wears off and it's like, oh shit, this is just about like maintenance now. And like, I hate that I'm doing all of this shit just to be like my new level of normal. Yeah. I, I, I noticed a proclivity for Jay Leno. Did, is that some sort of <laughs> marker for your, as you put it, this sort of degeneration into rock bottom? And how do you feel about Jay Leno today being clean from Percocets for quite a while? Mark, that's one of the most fucked up side effects that nobody's willing to talk about. It's like you run the risk of getting very heavy into Jay Leno when you get into opioids. <laughs> and dude, I loved it, man. It's like my life revolved around TV the summer that I was on the couch after my surgeries. Right. And I got very into Jay Leno, whether it was, you know, watching old episodes of the Tonight Show or watching like stand up clips, like watching biographies about him. I just got very into Jay Leno. I got very into Jay Leno. I got very into Ken Burns documentaries. It was just the oddest shit that I would never picture myself getting into. I get into collecting vinyl, which is very cool. And like, I still wish I had all of my vinyl and I wish I didn't sell it off. But yeah, I picked up some strange new addictions too. And Jay Leno might be the oddest, most embarrassing one out of all. Yeah. Wow. I definitely, maybe it has something to do with the Perkmobile. As you're losing your car, you find <laughs> fascination with a guy who has literally thousands of cars. <laughs> and dude, it's, you know, I became a car guy because, you know, the Perkmobile you refer to is this, this beautiful 2012 Chrysler 300 that I got. I think I got it maybe three months 
after I first started doing perks full time. And I never had anything nice up until that point. You know, I've always been working class poor and three months, you know, it's a, this rigmarole with my back surgeries and being whacked on painkillers, the car that I had, which I think was like a 2004 focus, it shit the bed. And it was just devastating because now on top of like spiraling into pill addiction, I now have no car, which is like my lifeline to these jobs that I need to support my family. And I, I lucked out. I had a friend who worked at a car dealership. He's like, yeah, come in. I'll get you hooked up with something. And I got a Chrysler 300, which is a pill hedge dream because the car is like a fucking apartment. And I it ended up getting repoed because I couldn't keep up with the payments, you know, thanks to painkillers. But, you know, I still think about it every day and I am going to get myself another one. But yeah, dude, it's once I got that Chrysler 300, I instantly became a car guy. Mm. Buy the book, folks. Help Mike get that perk mobile back. <laughs> perk free this time. I love it. Yeah, I've been there with cars. I can Mark, tell you. I, I got some good news on the Perkmobile front. Three yeah. days ago, I got a letter in the mail that I'm eligible for to be part of a class action lawsuit against the company that I got my car loan from. Anybody who had gotten their car repoed between 2014 and 2020 is eligible to become part of this lawsuit. So I may be getting some class action lawsuit money out of this. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to knock on wood. We're going to not jinx Thank that. You, That's awesome. Wow. Well, you know. Things work out in that funny way. I was close to that myself with my Nissan Sentra, which had a CVT transmission that shit the bed. And just, you know, every model Nissan Sentra, other than my 2015 Nissan Sentra, was eligible for mm -hmm. this stupid thing. And yeah, I've been there with that. And I just feel like a lot of what people endure on the East Coast, this American sort of culture that we have... It's geared towards exhausting you. I mean, you really summed it up well. And I feel like people are, you know, predisposed to think like, well, we just got to trust the doctor. And the doctor says this is the right way to go. And let's slap this Band-Aid on. And it's it just, it seems like we're reaching a point where people should recognize like, all right, maybe these problems are ex exacerbated by the solutions, right? I mean, you've probably pondered that yourself at this point a hundred percent man and you know one of the things that like i hope to achieve in writing this was one to make some friggin' money which you know i'm very thankful to everybody that's bought the book but also too it's like i want to i know how exhausting and how isolating and how humiliating opioid addiction can be so if through this i can kind of help lighten somebody else's load then it's worthwhile because i it's it has nothing to do with what kind of person you are. When you get wrapped up in this shit, it just takes you away no matter how seemingly you have your shit together or wh whatever you got going for you can be wiped away by this shit in an instant. So one of the main objectives in writing this and just in being open about it and being willing to talk to people about this shit is that, you know, I don't want people to feel so alone and I want people to realize that, you know, you kind of got to figure shit out on your own. It's, not everybody that you think has your best interest at heart does have your best interest at heart. And I got very lucky in that I came across people who kind of, you know, walk the beat of their own path and, you know, have the benefit of some typical resources that, you know, people go to in these situations like, you know, 12 step groups and stuff like that. You know, that can be very beneficial. However, at the same time, for somebody like me, it's, you know, 
you know, I'm profoundly fucked up and I'll never pretend that I'm not. So getting away from these things gave me the freedom and the ability to kind of see, like kind of measure the damage and figure out where to go from there. So I definitely want to encourage people to just figure out as many different options as you have and devise your own program relative to what your life is, you know, and just, you know, listen to people, but also second guess as many people as possible because not everybody has your best interest at heart. Yeah. Been there, man, for sure. I think that's one of the the narrow roads we all got to walk with substances. You know, I had family members in my life early who were alcoholics that really turned me away from even today enjoying alcohol very sp- sparingly. But I've reached that. I don't know if you've seen the movie, what is it, Half-Baked with Bob Saget, where he's like, yeah. you know, I've sucked dick for weed or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. he, or the guy says he's addicted to weed. And he's, you know, I forget mm-hmm. the movie line. But either way, I've kind of felt a little resonance. I hate to say it with on perks with my relationship with weed, although it's nowhere near as a severe substance mm-hmm. as, you know, being addicted to Percocets. I've reached those points where, you know, I'm like, why am I leaving my house at midnight to go buy it like a dime bag? Like what's, you know, and you kind of, you do it anyways, even though you have this like shame and like, you almost don't even want to look the dealer in the face. Like, Hey, you again, you know, (laughs) and I've been there with weed. So I can understand the embarrassment for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you finally get away from it and you real you begin to realize just you know the degrees of depravity which you're willing to stoop and for me it was just endless and i don't know that i'll ever completely understand it i mean at at best like right now i think i'm at a point where i know what makes me tick and i know you know what boxes i have historically checked off which lead me down the wrong path so i can i'm better equipped to help to kind of avoid those now but yeah man there's so many when sometimes it takes getting out of it to kind of see like how fucked up you were like in the moment. And, you know, I'm just grateful that I was able to get away from that shit because there were so many moments where I'm just like, God damn, like, why did I put myself through this? Why did I put my family through this? Why did I put other people in harm's way because of this? And uh, yes, some of them I have answers for and others. I just don't understand how it got to that point. Well, given that you've been down this path, I'm sure Little Stinkers, your other podcast is sort of like an outlet in some ways. I mean, it seems like now more than ever, there are two most popular genres, if you could say, true crime and comedy. And you're kind of in both lanes with just Little Stinkers and then obviously Dad Meets more comedy oriented. But with Little Stinkers, do you feel like you can sort of relate to some of these really dark characters given the path you've been down? I mean, how do you bring that sort of perspective into a show like Little Stinkers? I think it's very easy for me to see how quickly things can spiral out of control. For me, it was always drugs and alcohol. For other people, it's murder. Yeah. <laughs> so, Big I mean, difference. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, take this shit with a grain of salt, but I feel like I'm an optimist and I choose to see the best in people. With Little Stinkers, the basis of the show, is it is like a true crime comedy podcast, but I'll, I never want to focus on the gore and like how victims being eviscerated and having their shit like you know, that's not the intent with this. Like my intent is to tell that kind of story and tell, you know, you know, give all the details surrounding a case, but also focus on some of the funnier elements, like with John Wayne Gacy, like spearheading a project in prison to build a miniature golf course. 
like Charles Manson trading a piano, pushing a piano around the neighborhood to get his bus that he ended up transporting the family in. Charles Whitman karate chopping his mother. (laughs) Charles Whitman karateing his mom right before he killed her. Like that kind of stuff. It's incredibly fucked up, but also very funny. Oh, yeah. Well, some of the episodes have really thrown me for a loop, but I will say folks are interested in the genre of true crime. You guys do it well. You're authentically funny. You're not corny like every other true crime podcast pretty much is. And you guys have the sort of sense of how to, you know, talk about pretty dark, edgy things. I don't I hate to use that word edgy with comedy because you're not an edgy comedian, but you understand what I'm saying. You guys have an ability to talk about things that maybe other people would be like on eggshells about because you're, you have that darker sense of humor. And I really appreciate that with a show like little stinkers, which in itself, I think a lot of people who listen to true crime, they feel a little ashamed of it because it's like a dark kind of fascination for them. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You ever feel like you, you kind of skirt past that by taking this humor approach? I hope so. I mean, with anything I do, I feel like there's times where like, yeah, I, I might cross the line for some people. And listen, I get it, especially in dealing with shit like this, where, you know, we're talking about people doing some pretty heinous shit. But at the same time, I think with Little Stinkers, the show is more about the relationship I have with my buddies, John Del Calo and Jake Matera. And it's, you know, they have, you know, they're just guys that I enjoy doing stuff with. Honestly, like, I don't know that they ever watched the true crime documentary or knew a single thing about serial killers before I forced them to sit back here and and listen to me just vomit about serial killers for an hour each week. But I think, yeah, I just want to talk about, like, you know, I want to take, like, some of the heaviness out of that and say, show. I know it's an interest that people have, and I know it's an interest I had for a long time. And I did always feel like a little bit of guilt, especially, like, as a kid, because, I remember my mom letting me buy whatever I wanted when we go to the bookstore. And I remember reading a book as a little boy about the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. And there was nobody in my class I could have talked to about that. Nobody's into Nobody's reading about Richard Ramirez in friggin', you know, sixth grade and seventh grade and reading Helter Skelter. Like nobody was into that shit back then. But it does feel good to know that there's a lot of other creeps out there that are into this stuff and willing to talk about it. It's like, yeah, do we wish there weren't serial killers? Of course. But at the same time, I can't help that I'm interested in it. And I want to find that as much as I can because it's incredibly fucked up. And I think a lot of us at the basis of it, you know, would like to know more about what makes people tick that do these kind of things. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, part of our nature as human beings to try to understand what's going on in an attempt to find a way to f- to fix it and maybe eliminate that possibility. I mean, it gets really dark. I wonder, you know, all of the subjects you've looked at so far i mean you have dozens of episodes with little stinkers you know on this show we go into all sorts of conspiratorial realms and the theory has come up before that maybe some of these serial killers are being sort of trained or maybe being you know psychologically manipulated at a young age take this course in life i mean given the research you've done is there any people that have you know committed these crimes that sort of fit the bill for that theory or does that sound sort of you know not really based in any truth no for me i you know i maybe up until a couple years ago i would have looked at anybody who proposed any kind of conspiracy theory as a lunatic however learning more and more about these people and learning you know just how fucked up the government is there are people that i think were no doubt manipulated by government entities to points where they either had a mental break where, you know, they just reached a point of no return 
or they just had no idea what the fuck was going on after they were used for whatever purpose they were used for and just discarded. Dude, I don't discount that at all. And I think anything's on the table. And that's one of, been one of the more eye-opening things about doing little stinkers is finding out like the depth of depravity that, you know, it's easy to put it all on these people who commit the crimes. But, you know, when you look at it through a much broader scope, you're able to see like, all right, well, there were some factors that led up to that. And I don't know, maybe if you weren't feeding a guy acid in prison, he <laughs> might not have had that kind of break where he ended up doing what he did. Who was that that was fed acid in well, prison? I think it's conceivable that Manson, Charles Manson was part of MK Ultra. I think Ted Kaczynski was, could have possibly been manipulated while he was in prison. I don't know, man. There's just so many different ways that I think like this could have been Hey, no, not Ted Kaczynski. Who the fuck am I thinking about? No, I think you're on point with Ted. I, for whatever strange reason, when you said acid, thought of like Indian people throwing acid rather than like LSD acid. So I got very confused for a second. <laughs> but no, okay, yes. No, it was Ted Kaczynski when he was when he was at Harvard. Right, he was right. Part of a study. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we actually just talked about that given his recent passing. You know that story came up and a lot of people were reevaluating that you know strange life that he led delivering what was it anthrax and different bombs to people and you know his whole manifesto some researchers suggested in the past few months that it's possible that the manifesto was not actually written by Ted K and he was meant to be this sort of scapegoat to make anyone going off the grid look like a complete lunatic, dangerous, should be, you know, kept an eye on. Essentially the same sort of surveillance watchdog people kind of that talking point. I mean, it's conceivable that they would want to keep people afraid of going off the grid, right? Yeah, and I'm with you 100%. Now I everything that you just said, I could completely see as plausible, whereas a couple of years ago that would have seemed insane to me. But. Well, well, yeah, I, I don't blame you. And I've probably been, you know, that out, out of the box thinker my whole life. Hence the name of the show. My family thinks I'm crazy. And I've noticed even in like the family members that were very adamant to kind of voice a contrary opinion whenever I would voice my opinion, they've come closer to agreeing with me over the past few years. I'm sure there's a number of factors that have led to that. But yeah, it definitely has become more apparent to everyone that we're living in a pretty, you know, chaotic, corrupt sort of country in a lot of ways. That's one way to put it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, all this, you know, can be packaged in together. I mean, initially, like, you know, we're taught whether we're talking about addiction or recovery or just, you know, looking at things, looking at serial killers actions critically. It's like, I don't know. It's just, if we're taking it as many different perspectives as possible, I, to me, it only seems logical that we're going to arrive at a better understanding of what is actually going on. And it's whether that's figuring yourself out, figuring out the actions of other people, but you know, you can be, I think anybody that views you as being psychotic for doing that is somebody that you have to be wary of. Well, absolutely. I, I think it's all too easy to excuse everything as, oh, well, the government's corrupt. We need to have some discernment. You know, I think conspiracy theories, theorists fall victim to that sort of wide net being cast, maybe turning a lot of people against this type of thinking. But when it comes to serial killers, there's a, a few very strange candidates and 
maybe it's the same conversation with addiction where, you know, this overabundance of pharmaceutical chemicals is sort of, I don't know, mishandling of them at the very least has led to a increased state of psychosis in the world. I mean, does it feel like many of the patients or subjects you've looked at on Little Stinkers had some sort of drug interaction in their life? There's definitely been a lot of that. And I think, you know, there's in almost everybody that we've covered on Little Stinkers, there's been profound abuse from one degree to another as kids. And there's a there's a triad that's used as a measuring tool to, I guess, you know, predict somebody's, you know, propensity for possibly going on to do things like this. And it covers bedwetting, fire setting, and abuse toward animals. I mean, that shit always factors into it. And I think that pops up more often than not. On the times that we've been able to find out as much as we can about people's access to mental health care and what they were prescribed as kids, you know, it doesn't surprise me that if they're taking these such hard-hitting drugs at such an early age, that there's going to be some kind of derogatory effect later on in life. And I think now, like once we get into, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties, you know, we didn't hear about ADHD that much, but I think now that you're seeing more and more kids, you know, becoming adults that were prescribed, you know, ADHD medicine and we're seeing the results of that. It's going to be interesting to see like, you know, how that plays out. Right. Because, you know, we don't always have that with like, you know, you know, on our most recent episode, we had Charles Whitman, the, the Texas tower sniper you know, he sought mental health treatment and I don't know exactly what medication he was prescribed, but at the same time, you know, you know, looking at his mental health treatment that he received, like he, he basically said that he was going to do what he was going to do, which is get up into the tower at university of Texas, Austin and open fire. And the, uh, the psychologist solution for that was to just give him his personal number and say like, Hey, if you feel like you're about to do that, if you're really going to do it, just give me a call. <laughs> right. Yeah, the psychiatrist, I think his last name was Heathley or something like that. And he right. uh, he gave him Valium and something else akin to amphetamines, if Valium's not oh, already right. yep. amphetamines. Yep. But it was an odd mixture, and it's just, it, it needs to be looked at on a government level at the very least because there's an incredible overlap between these shooters and this type of drug abuse. I mean, whether it's prescribed or not, there are certain people that within their mind, there's a trigger that gets, you know, pressured from these drugs and they reach a level of insanity. There were some very fascinating things I looked into with the Texas tower shooter or sniper. One thing is Austin was the home of what I think was the first massacre, like mass killing. It was the ax murderer. The first axe murder was in like Austin, Texas, very early into their history. And that sparked the invention of what they called the moon towers, which were these very tall, basically, you know, lamps in the street to illuminate the streets at night. And I think there's only one or two still standing They're you know, outdated now. But it gave the name to the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. And it also gave Austin this reputation of being like a very safe city at night. And then also there's a there's another kind of weird esoteric connection with all this because Austin was known as the city of the Violet Crown. And according to one research, 
researcher we spoke to a while back on a different podcast I've done, they mentioned that the Violet Crown has this sort of connection to royalty and maybe the their thought was maybe that the these killings are happening in Austin for a specific reason. I mean, that Jesus could be, man. you know, far-fetched, sure, but I wonder, you know, given how many strange things have happened in Austin, if there is some sort of pattern there, you know? Yeah, that's definitely something I would like to learn more about, man, because that shit, as spooky as it is, it's also just super interesting to me to learn about. And I did uh, yeah, the Texas Tower Sniper episode that we just talked about and uh, that situation. One of the things that really stood out from that was just the, uh, the depth of like medical care that he got. That It was just insane to me that somebody could voice those kinds of things and say that they were on the verge of doing something horrendous and that it didn't get any further than just the guy that he was speaking to about it. Right. Yeah, it certainly felt like they did not take his case seriously or as seriously as they should have. Who knows? Maybe they could have prevented it or, I mean, really, we could be living, this might be cynical, but we could be living in a world where that sort of thing is like an end that justifies the means. I mean, if you think about it, you know, in the lane of surveillance, the more fear there is, the more justification there is for things like police budgets and, you know, cameras in the streets. And I mean, everything we have now, cameras on police officers' chests, cameras in everyone's pockets, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're kind of reached that point now. But back in the 30s and 40s, I mean, they couldn't even conceive of something like that. Yeah, dude. And I mean, there's so many things that you could relate this to right now, but I think whether it's addiction or whether it's, you know, social unrest, you know, there's nobody's coming to save you. And from from an addiction perspective, I think when you take it upon yourself to know that, you know, you're lucky to have people around you if they do care about you, that they care about you to whatever extent they do. But, you know, by and large, like you're going to have to like get control of this shit yourself. And you got to figure it out. You got to figure out what's in your best interest. You know, it's not going to be a one size fits all deal, but, you know, just really take it upon yourself to just really fucking do what's necessary for you and just know that nobody is coming to help and you have to figure this shit out on your own. Right. Right. And I hope folks listening, if you are, you know, dealing with something like that, reach out to family members, reach out to people, don't do it alone and listen to a podcast like Dad Meat. I mean, I've been at some low points in my life and listen to a podcast and it's turned my whole perspective around just from having a few laughs. And I'm not short of that anytime I tune into Dad Meat. So I definitely recommend folks check that out. But when it comes to spooky, strange areas, a thought came to me the other day, your co-host on Dad Meat, Tim Butterly, has an awesome new show that he's putting together with a bunch of other people called Field Trippin', where he takes a guest on a fun trip. I want to make a suggestion. Who knows? Maybe you guys already have something in the works, but given your interests and little stinkers, maybe you guys can sort of blend the two and go on a field trip into Beaver Valley in Delco. There's a place called the Devil's Road. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but according to local lore, people have cited everything from witches to a centaur-like devil man with ram horns on this Devil's Road. So it it's certainly a creepy place. Have you been there before? Your eyes perked up. I'm sure you've heard of it. Well, Mark, it's funny you mention this. I don't remember whether I could have maybe mentioned it at the end of like the last Little Sneakers, but I'm pretty sure we were talking about it after we recorded. But my co-host on Little Sneakers, Jake and John, they were talking about going there. 
And John had driven his motorcycle through there and he just talked about how creepy it was. And our producer, Jeff, talked about how a friend of his was roaming around out there and wanted to get out and like take pictures and shit. And he was beaten up by some of the locals there. And, you know, this has been like an area where people said, like, don't go there. They're going to chase you. These creepy trucks will come out of nowhere. And, you know, they don't take kindly to people going there uninvited. But this is the first time I had heard about somebody actually being attacked there. And I haven't been there, but I know what a creepy place it is just from what other people have told me. And to like hear that substantiated by the other people, little sneakers did spook me out a little bit. Well, I recommend you go and I'm, I'll send you the link to this phantomsandmonsters.com. I was listening to an interview with the guy who runs that website on the Higher Side Chats podcast, and they mentioned a story, an encounter that someone had in that exact spot where they saw this devil-horned ram-looking creature. And yeah, I don't know how to explain that, but I, yeah, I would recommend it. Also, there's rumors that a town of little people live around there somewhere too. Have you heard about that? There's two that I know of, and one of those towns is maybe a half mile from where I'm at right now. And I had gone there when I was a teenager, and it was just my friends and I just dicking around. We're like, ah, oh, this is, you know, you know, what could this possibly be? I didn't see little people. However, there were some odd houses back there, and uh, we got chased out of there. So we really didn't get to explore too much. And it scared me enough as to where I never wanted to go back. But it is close by, and it is something that. I don't know if I was feeling ambitious one night, I could probably take it upon myself to go out there. And if I do that, I will message you. So at least one person knows where I'm at. Oh. So if they end up taking me out, man, you know who did it. Great. Well, now I have something to be responsible for. Maybe invite Jake or John. I think they would be, you know, at least maybe able to, for you to outrun them and you could get away first. But uh, that would be fun to see you guys go there. I'm excited for Tim's show and everything that's coming to pass with The whole crew. I mean, for folks who aren't listening to the podcast coming out of Philadelphia, crew that you guys have, it's some of the most authentic podcasting. If you listen to comedy podcasts from these like L.A. people, and don't get me wrong, I love Sam Tripoli. There are some great L.A. podcasts, but there is a level of authenticity that you guys bring to the table that I really appreciate as someone from the East Coast. I listen, I feel like I'm busting balls with my friends, and I think a lot of people listen because that you they get that from you guys so whatever you're doing it's awesome it's a great recipe for fun and i'd love to see that happen on field tripping but another interesting thing that's coming out that i want to ask you about slash promote tim hopefully if everything goes well will be fighting Luis j gomez at skank fest and given you guys talked about Little stinkers, you talk about Don King. Do you think Luis J. Gomez is trying to become like somewhat of a Don King himself? I mean, I don't know that Don King ever fought in any of the fights that he promoted him, himself, but he has this sort of Don King energy, right? I mean, what brought Don King up on Little Stinkers? I has he ever killed anyone? I didn't, I, I'm yeah, not familiar with people. Him. And one was self defense, and then the other one was a guy that owed him money, mm. he beat a guy to death. Wow. The first guy in self-defense, he shot him in the back. So I don't know how self-defense it was. The guy was trying to rob him, so it's self-defense in that aspect. But the second guy that he killed was a guy that I think owed him $600. So he beat him to death outside of a bar. You know, that's how Don King came on the little Snickers radar. Well, Lewis uh, has a much sweeter reputation than that, I'll just say. I don't think Lewis would stoop that low. 
that Lewis is like a special needs genius, man. He really like he really has shit figured out to a point where, you know, he's he really is a genius to some degree into figuring out something that no one else was able to figure out in regards to the lane that he ended up choosing. And he's always got something new going on. And, you know, he's a, he's somebody I like a lot and he's somebody that I respect, man, because he's got some cool shit going on. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I'm team Butterly. Although I do love Gomez, I would love to see Butterly demonstrate his martial arts skill. That is going to be a blast, but yeah, Mike, I mean, as far as, you know, your book and everything you're working on, I mean, what's next? Do you have the bug now to write more books? Can people expect another book at some point in the future? I got to keep going, man. It's I'm very fortunate in that, you know, people listen to Dad Me, people listen to Little Stinkers, and I was especially fortunate. I set a goal to sell 5,000 copies of all perks, and a few months ago, I hit that goal, and, you know, I've since surpassed it, which has been awesome, but... You know, more than anything else, it's just been, it's kind of like a little fire under my ass because like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like, you know, I had been working poor my entire life. I still am. I mean, you you see the background of the fucking place I live in, but at the same time, you know, I'm able to do what I want to do more so with my life now more than ever. You know, I was able to quit my full-time job last October because people were very so cool about buying all perks. And I just want to keep putting cool shit out there. The next thing I'm doing is going to be an audio sketch album. I remember like Adam Sandler's, they're all going to laugh at you. It's going to be an album consisting of audio sketches like that. And then around Christmas time, we're putting out a little sneakers, a Christmas album. And I'm thinking this time next year, I'll be putting out my next book. Wow. So there's always got to be something cooking and I need that kind of stuff too. And that ties into the shit with, you know, you know, leaving, you know, pills and Coke and booze behind. It's like, I always have to keep myself busy to, you know, keep those wheels from turning again so there's always something on the back burner man right well there were many reasons i invited you onto the podcast but that was one of the main reasons is the fact that you've turned your life around in such an inspirational way and i myself i quit my normal job to pursue this full time it's been a struggle but i've been making it happen and that's partly why i get so much inspiration from listening to dad me each week because it feels like we're all on this journey and I'll say to the listeners right now, if there's something that you could be doing that you're not doing, and you are like me, driving an Amazon truck, hating your job, I love listening to podcasts on the job, but I ultimately wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing, consider the next few weeks as a challenge to find your way out of it, you know, because Mm -hmm. as soon as you set... You know, and again, to the listeners, as soon as you set your mind to that, those opportunities will start opening up to you. I mean, was this true for your experience, Mike? Like once you had that goal in mind, things started kind of lining up? Yeah, I mean, it really did. I mean, there were always, you know, looking back at my own life, like there were so many different, you know, areas where it's just like, all right, well, that was a massive victory and that was a massive victory. And, you know, I consider myself successful now. You know, in that not that I have a lot that I have money or have, you know, a nice car. My car's a beater. It's like, you know, I don't live in, you know, the house of my dreams yet. However, I consider myself a success in that, you know, I wake up every day and I do what I want to do for work. Like today, you know, I watched, you know, three hours worth of video on a lady who cut a guy's head and dick off in Wisconsin, you know, to prepare me for the next little Snickers episode. To me, that's success. And I'll, I may never get rich doing this, but to me, like, this is what I want to do with my life. I can do things like that. And like, I get to do things like this where I'm having fun on somebody else's podcast. We're having like a fun conversation 
Whereas, you know, five years ago, I would have been stuck working one of two jobs, coming home miserable and just angry at the world because I knew I wasn't doing things that I wanted to be doing. And, you know, now it's, you know, there's a way to figure this shit out. And it's, you know, I could see it. There's so many instances in my own life, whether it's with substances or with, you know, professionally or with, you know, even with like leisure, like it's, you know, you have to just kind of figure your own shit out and just figure out like, all right, like I'm, I really have a finite amount of time here and I really have to get shit figured out and just make my life what I want it to be. And it's never going to be like some, some, you know, weird, like Gary Vaynerchuk or Tony Robbins. Like you don't have to buy like this and this to, you know, to unlock the secrets to leading a successful life. It's like, no, just, you know, start associating with people that, make you feel good, you know, align yourself, you know, figure out what your goals are, figure out what the fuck you want to do with your shit and just, you know, do something toward it. You know, if you want to start a fucking serial killer podcast, you know, figure it the fuck out. It's everything is readily available for you to do whatever it is you want to do that makes you happy in life. Cause nothing matters. Truly nothing matters, but you know, just enjoy your own fucking life because you know, we mentioned earlier, nobody's going to fix it for you. Help isn't coming from anywhere else. It's up to you to just figure it out. And I'm just grateful that, you know, I was able to make it out of this fucking opioid bullshit and get away from fucking booze and coke, too, to get to a point now where I can do fun stuff like this and really be happy with what my days have become. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. This is what a way to sort of put a cherry on top to this episode. Any final thoughts, Mike, before we wrap up? Obviously, we want people to go and buy on Perks if they haven't already, or if they haven't already heard of you, Mike, they definitely need to tune in to Dad Meat, Little Stinkers, and check out Field Trippin' with Butterly. Yeah, just go to onperks.com. That's O-N-P-E-R-C-S.com to check out the book. I think if you've ever posted anything regrettable while fucked up on any substance you'll be able to relate to this book on top of that too it mentioned like you know how isolating all this shit can be with drugs and alcohol if any you know part of you know what makes it made it so shameful for me was i didn't feel like there was anybody i could talk to i felt like it was all this deep dark secret so if anybody out there is struggling with anything hit me up at any time i'm happy to talk to you if you just want somebody to listen to you i'll listen and it stays between us you know you don't have to be stuck in that fucking that world of misery and despair, you know, it's just, there, there are ways to get out of it. And if I could offer any kind of help, even if it was just with being a listening, just to listen to you, I'm happy to do that. Hit me up anytime on social media where, you know, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, just find me and I'll listen to you and it stays between us. I love that. Right on. Now, you have a little bit more time to share with us, Mike, because we yeah, did. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to do it. Cool, because we did. I did ask you at the top of the show about this recent case that's hit the headlines. People are concerned, you know, these people that could just be hiding in plain sight. You know, the people that you thought were your neighbors, your office mate, you know, your boss potentially could be hiding all this weird double life. I mean. What do you think of this guy, the Gilgo Beach Killer, as he's been called? I don't know if you can see it, but over my shoulder over here, I actually have notes that I've taken on the case. So with, I'm with the that red string? That nobody, I'm praying that nobody has to come into my house for any reason to see this shit because I know how this looks. But it's something that I was vaguely aware of before a couple of weeks ago. But now it's something that I'll consume every bit of information that I can find on it because it's just fucking terrifying. I think on at least one of the murders, there were a number of people involved that were initially discounted. 
And to me, that's where shit gets scary is where people with influence and money are clearly involved. But law enforcement is quick to dismiss them just because of that reason. It feels very true detective-ish. Right. So I think what they found so far is really just the tip of the iceberg. And I think there's a lot more scary shit to come down the pike. What have you, what have you found so far? I haven't really heard much nor looked into it much. I was looking forward to hearing what you had to say about it. If you don't mind breaking it down a little bit, I heard Tim Dillon talk a bit about it. And from what I've heard, his wife had no clue. You know, people that knew him had no idea. And I guess he made a phone call like the night before or the day before asking about the computer servers and that tipped off maybe the FBI that he was about to delete some things from the server. So they went and swooped in and arrested him. So obviously mm-hmm. they had an idea that he might be the suspect and maybe making that call tipped them off that, yeah, he's the suspect. That's all I've heard. Yeah. So he lives or he lived in an area called Massapequa Park, which is, I think, a 23 minute ride from Gilgo Beach, where upon searching for a missing woman, police ended up finding, I think, the remains of 11 separate people on this area of Long Island. And some of them clearly fit like what could be, you know, a single person's MO, whereas, you know, a lot of the victims were sex workers who were petite and young, while others don't fit within those demographics. There was a baby that was found next to her mother there was a young asian guy that was found on the beach so there's clearly i don't know some different elements of play here and it might be the work of more than one person but it really gets strange because there was a lot of corruption in this area the county where it took place was is suffolk county and the suffolk county police chief and the suffolk county da had both gone to prison uh, a few years ago on on bribery charges and also the police chief severely beat a guy who stole a duffel bag out of his police van. And in that duffel bag contained a sex toys and DVDs of porno movies. And the guy who stole the bag said on the porno movies, was actually a snuff tape. Wow. Any like information about that guy and why he was stealing a duffel bag? Is he a journalist or something like that? No, he was, he just seemed like a guy that I think was just whacked on heroin. Ah. And he just happened to be going around just looking to right. find something okay. that I hope that he could find value in. And he happened to come across this cop's van and he stole this bag out of there. And there was all kinds of crazy shit in there. Now, police refuted that's what was on the DVD, but it sounds like an insane thing to make up to say that it was on there. Now, when you pair that with what was discovered on the Gilgo Beach suspect's hard drive, I think, you know, that starts to align itself and it gets even scarier now that it could possibly appear that law enforcement was working in conjunction with someone or some people that were doing some very fucked up things. Right. Now, obviously snuff film that implies maybe there's some sort of black market trading of these things. And, you know, if the police are in on it, I'm sure something like that's going for a lot of money. I remember very recently, I don't remember exactly what story prompted this person to share this. Maybe it's, I think it's actually the Sound of Freedom movie and all that. But there was something about these kids getting arrested for spending Bitcoin to partake in something called a Red Room. And this is out of Italy, so who knows how true this is. This could just be a conspiracy meme that's just made up, but... The idea was that people are paying lots of money to watch these snuff 
streams essentially live streams on the dark web so yeah i mean geez if that's going on maybe this is somehow connected but wow and i don't think it was any coincidence that once the police chief and the da were cut out of the investigative equation that the gilgo beach murder investigation started to gain steam right Right. So there's so many different strange elements to this case that, you know, I think if you're in the true crime or, you know, you're just in any kind of like mystery, I think this is something that'll be worth your time. And there's more and more information every day. And it's very spooky stuff. Now, I guess your insinuation is this guy did not act alone, the Long Island serial killer. He's been identified as this gentleman, Rex Huberman. Is that the same name or am I mistaken? Yeah, Rex. Rex Huberman was the guy that was arrested for, he was charged with four of the Gilgo Beach murders. Right. And uh, there were remains of 11 victims found. And he owns property in Las Vegas and South Carolina. And he was, bu- he was buying as much property as he could in this one section of South Carolina. So it would be interesting to see the extent to which they, they look into that property. Yeah. Yeah, that's very unsettling. I live on Long Island Sound, the North Shore, so I don't think I'm anywhere close to Gilgo Beach, but still, very unsettling. This is all happening through Craigslist, which is my understanding that Trump shut that whole side of the internet down really quickly into his, you know, stint as president, right? I mean, that was something that happened, what, like 2016? They shut all of the what is it called ads, you know, or what, you know, sex ads in the Craigslist and blue back page and all those other places. How do I know about that? I won't tell. Yeah. I'm going to keep shuttle that too. (laughs) But yeah, geez, I didn't even know those sort of things were still going on. Clearly they are. But uh, most of these murders occurred either, either in or around 2010. One of the victims, it says here, it was out of Norwich, Connecticut. Wow. I mean, is it possible that they were taking boats? Because Norwich is on a river, so they could reach that from the, you know, going via boat. Is there any mention of, like, them taking boats to dispose of bodies or to travel after committing these crimes, this guy? There hasn't been yet, but I think considering the, uh, the ge- that geographical element of the case and, and being so close to the bay and to the Atlantic Ocean, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Well, I'm guilty of speculating a lot on this podcast, but I mean, this is a an area that maybe we shouldn't speculate too much on. We we want to give you know it over to authorities because we're supposed to trust them to take care of this kind of thing, but. As you pointed out, when it was in the local, the realm of local authorities, there was either maybe some cover-up going on, or even some complicity going on, where they were, you know, complicit in these crimes. I mean, that that should make everybody think twice about who they trust in their community. You know what, I man? There's specifically related to true crime. I think the true crime community can, gets a bad rap, sometimes justifiably, other times not so. I think. The best thing that the people who, whether it's true crime or whether it's in the conspiratorial realm, have to offer is that it keeps these ideas afloat. Whether or not they're batshit insane, that's one thing. But there's sometimes, maybe just once, there's going to be a situation where this, inf- where a little sliver of something that might be deemed batshit insane will lead to the truth. And I've seen it with cold cases in true crime. Like there's one that's that's being adjudicated right now, and it's 
kind of similar to Gilgo Beach in that like I don't think they've nabbed everybody that that should be or was associated with committing these crimes. But there was a double murder in Delphi, Indiana, where the, the case had gone cold. And the murders happened in February of 2017, and it wasn't until the past year where momentum started to be gained in the case. And it was through a couple lo- local Indiana journalists who had a true crime podcast filing for records under the Freedom of Information Act that they were able to get to to gain access to records that people were clamoring for. And I don't think it was any coincidence that shortly thereafter that a suspect was finally arrested in the case right. because people finally started demanding answers. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that, you know, this kind of thing can be discussed in this way, hopefully lead to answers, you know, recently to rope Austin back into the equation. There was the whole smiley face killer, you know, crimes. Allegedly, obviously, the city of Austin says, oh, no, these aren't serial killings. These aren't related. What are your thoughts on the smiley face case? Because we've talked to some people about it here on the show, and it does seem like there is a pattern, an overwhelming pattern there with a lot of these cases that are very far spread out. I don't know if it's the same guy, but somebody brought my brought it to my attention recently because someone was also referred to as the Rainy Street Ripper. And I thought that would have been a very cool nickname for me. So I wish I had that nickname. But yeah, I don't know enough about it to, to intelligent to comment intelligently. So I would defer to your judgment on that one, man, to fill me in. That's fair. Yeah, that well, I mean, with the smiley face killers, you know, it's funny, Tim Dillon actually did a really good interview with someone. I don't know if this is available on the free feed or you have to subscribe to his Patreon, but he interviewed somebody who was actually a victim of a potential smiley face kidnapping. Obviously, he didn't die, but he woke up after being drugged in what seemed like a place that he would have not been able to get to. There was like a 15-foot fence blocking him from getting into this reservoir, and he was on the edge of a dam in a huge reservoir, right? So the public, you know, water supply or whatever, he was on the edge of the dam. If you've ever seen a dam before, I mean, you could fall off the edge and kill yourself. There's a huge, you know, basically fall from that height, And he miraculously survived, found his way to civilization. I think this was in Wisconsin or somewhere, maybe New York, but somewhere where it would have been also very cold. And it wouldn't have made sense that he got so drunk that he wandered to that position. It also didn't make much sense that he survived. And it fits the MO of how a lot of these other young men have died. He also fits the MO of like what type of person usually falls victim to this crime. So that one story stuck out in particular because, you know, here's a person who's was able to say like, hey, like I wasn't partying with the wrong people. I didn't take a drug that I shouldn't have. Someone mm-hmm. drugged me. Right. And a lot of these victims, unfortunately, don't have that opportunity but yeah, I, I would encourage you you to look into it further. I don't know that the officials in Austin are going to, you know, rope in these smiley face killings down there with the broader, you know, theory. But the same thing seems to be true with Austin, where people are found in this body of water that you could stand in. You know, it's not even there's no current, and it's like a man-made pond. It just doesn't make sense that people would get that drunk to you know, drown. And, you know, I'm sure that happens statistically, but yeah, these, 
I guess the smiley face aspect comes in because overwhelmingly there's graffiti near the sit, the site where these circumstances took place with like this rudimentary sort of one, two smiley face and then a circle around it. That's a very common piece of graffiti. You see that in a lot of places, but to see that in the same, you know, situation over and over again where someone's ending up dead i mean i obviously enough times to lend its you know name to the whole case but yeah i mean that and like things like the hat man or what's the guy the slender man like there definitely seems to be this like mythos now with the internet mm-hmm. where things can kind of reach a level of you know surreality and depart from what's actually happening but you know it's still, it still it doesn't negate the possibility that even the fantasy can give way to some sort of understanding or better understanding or solution to some of these problems. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And, yeah. you know, at the very least, one of the spectrum, it can be fun. On the other end of the spectrum, it gets incredibly scary because it, some of it may be rooted in reality. Right. But, you know, either way, it's definitely worth checking out. And it's, you know, for me, it keeps the it keeps things interesting to to look into stuff like that. Right. Well, I could sit here and just rattle off true crimes all night. I do want to mention one before we wrap up. And maybe if you know about, tell me about it. Tell me your thoughts on it. Maybe you haven't heard about it. But it's a case called the Lake City Quiet Pills. That's the only way that the case is known as far as I know. But it's out of Lake City, Florida. That had to do with this weird operation of people that seemed to be trafficking weapons and maybe also orchestrating hits on certain people. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. I would like to, though. Yeah, definitely look into that. I'll try my best to track down some links and send you that story. But yeah, I'm a huge... No, this was... I think I heard about this like eight years ago, so it's been a while. But I haven't heard anything since, and it's one of those like... A lot of times with true crime, you get these like, you know, flash in a pan stories that stick with you... You never hear about them again, but does beg the question, you know, maybe there's a connection between a lot of these things that because of the nature of our short attention spans these days, they just get lost in the memory hole and people don't see the connections. Yeah, it's that's one of the things that, that, that keeps me interested in a lot of the shit we do for Little Stingers is like, okay, did this just go away and did I not hear about this because, you know, because of the nature of short attention spans or was this deliberately hushed? Right. And that's where shit gets really fun. <laughs> right. Well, and also startling, <laughs> unsettling. And again, it's good to do that with company. And I really hope folks, if they haven't already tune into dad, Meat, little stinkers and also the audio book, which comes along with perks, pick oh, up yeah. a copy today. Mike will sign it for you. And if you, get the audiobook you're not just here mike reading but a number of great comics helped create this awesome audiobook which i enjoyed listening to the chapter with tim butterly and drew montana in preparation for this interview so yeah great stuff mike i love it i'm really grateful that you joined me you know on my non-comedy podcast to talk about all this i hope you had fun and yeah i hope the listeners follow up and check out on perks especially those folks who feel inclined, reach out to Mike. You know, if you feel so inclined, Mike, he's got some experience. He might be able to lend a word of advice. You know, I appreciate you saying that here, Mike. I'm happy to do it because, like I said, I know how isolating this shit can be. And if you ever feel jammed up to the point where you need to talk to somebody, 
you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Like I said, hit me up on social media and actually on the audiobook version of All Perks, my dear friend Ryan Shaner accidentally gave out my phone number. So if you listen to that <laughs> on the audiobook, feel free to text me or call me, man. I don't give a fuck. I've been very lucky. Like pe- the people that have texted me or called me by and large have been very cool and I'm happy to interact with them. I've only had one guy that really concerned me, but, wow. but people have been very good. But yeah, hit me up anywhere you can find me and I'm happy to talk with you. I love it. I might not be able to have much advice for people who've struggled with addiction, but if your family thinks you're crazy, you could always reach out to me too. I might be able to help. Mike, you're on the show. I got to ask you, does your family think you're crazy for being a comedian, doing little stinkers? I mean, there might be a whole number of reasons. What do they think? You know what, Mark? For one reason or another, I'm definitely the black sheep. My wife and I, we went up to lunch today and we were just talking about that because she's kind of you know treated the same way in her family it's we're definitely both out there and i don't know if it's for one reason or another but yeah it's there's definitely some odd feelings from my family toward me so i would venture to say like yeah they do think i'm fucking crazy i love it i love it that's how i got here you know one head scratch at a time one blank stare at a time but welcome to the club welcome to the family mike and folks listening Follow the links in the description to support and follow up with everything we talked about. And until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Shout out to Crack Amico for letting us use his song on Perks, which he made, of course, for Mike Rainey and his book. You can support Crack Amico, search him on YouTube and subscribe. He's got a podcast of his own and he's been on a bunch of podcasts. So go ahead and check out Crack Amico. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this episode with Mike Rainey. And just like my previous conversation with Yoshi or Sidney Gant or Matt McCusker or even Brian Holtzman. Uh, We brought another comedian onto the podcast and I love it. I like getting a chance to talk to these guys who, for the most part, uh, offer a sort of relief from the other podcasts I listen to. You know, some topics can be dark or very heavy, lofty, you know, a lot of complex ideas. So I like to relax and take a break listening to a show like Dad Meat, which is a little uh, less complex in many ways, right? It's just hilarious in many other ways. So if you're into that kind of stuff, if you liked this conversation with Mike Rainey, I definitely recommend that you check out his podcast that he does with another comedian named tim butterly it's called dad meat he also has a podcast that's more uh, oriented towards what we spoke about in the latter half of the conversation that's titled little stinkers but you probably gathered that from the interview already so please go and check it out if you're not already a fan if you are a fan of mike rainey and you're listening to the show for the first time because of that welcome to the show glad to have you here Uh, i've interviewed a couple of other comedians in that philly world and i gotta say all of them are uh, as genuine as they seem when you listen to them on podcasts and the fact that they've joined me on this uh, so-called philosophy podcast i think demonstrates that they're down to earth and have more to say than just telling jokes too i mean we've hardly had the type of podcast that you would expect when listening you know i mean they're 
They're skilled at what they do, keeping a conversation going and telling funny stories, telling jokes and live in the conversation. Me, maybe, I don't know. Tell me what you guys think. Maybe I'm funny. Either way, that's not the focus of the show. We're just trying to learn here. So I've found comedians can be some of the most open-minded people with a lot of great ideas. Um, so if you have a, a comedian that maybe you'd like to see on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, reach out to him. Say, yo, I'd love to see you on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. That always can help the show, even if they don't respond or follow up with me. Uh, it could help the show. You know, maybe one day I'll reach out to them and they'll say, oh, yeah, people have told me about your show before. So yeah, don't be shy. Uh, put it out there in the universe and help out this podcast. You can also help out by giving us five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen, Podcast Addict or Podbean or wherever you can leave a five-star rating and review. Go ahead and do that. And I will read it here on the podcast, give you a shout out. I also want to give out a shout out to some of our newest supporters on patreon who are helping us reach that goal of getting to 250 supporters shout out to rich shout out to shelly shout out to amanda and shout out to zeph you guys rule and you all signed up for the most part for the eight dollar tier uh, which is awesome because you're also going to get an email from me signing you up to the Substack, which i'm going to do that right now so i don't forget and uh yeah shout out to them thank you for supporting us and helping us reach that goal we need still uh, a little bit less than 100 people to get to that 250 people uh on patreon and then we're gonna do in-person video recorded interviews so look forward to that support the podcast for that reason and also get Every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast at least 12 hours early. Lately, at least the last episode was out two days early. So you get early releases and you also get bonus episodes that are only available for supporters. And if you are a video guy, you girl, you love watching the videos rather than listening, uh, support us on Rockfin. We've got a YouTube channel, but most of our videos are on Rockfin, and uh, occasionally I'll post some of the YouTube-friendly interviews to YouTube. So go and check those out. Support us on YouTube. Whether you are going to listen to the show there or not, it helps if you subscribe and like or whatever. Just get in there and help grow the show. We want to reach more people so we can get bigger guests and have some really great interviews with the people that you've been asking me to interview. You know, there are tons of guests that I, you know, would love to have on the show, but we need to be able to negotiate with those people and also fulfill um, the value for value sort of model that we're going for here with, you know, having the sponsors as opposed to the automatic ads that just get put into the rss feed wherever breaking up the episode uh, and also sticking to supporters you know having the supporters come first and you know staying by that model instead of selling out to the ads although you know no shade to the people who make money that way 
that's just how we're playing it. So if you value the podcast, please. And the same goes for the guests. When they come on this podcast, I want them to know that there's a ton of people listening who are going to follow up and support their work, whatever it may be, whether they're an author or they're creating content of it, some kind. So that's the gist of it. So please support us on Patreon, Substack. Those are the best ways to do it. The links are in the description, of course. And I got to give a big shout out to our sponsor, The Hit Kit, the number one way to get lit. Garrett just told me that there's a special package on the way. So I'm excited uh, to see what he's sending me next. But right now in my hands, I have a really great Hit Kit here. And what's great about his work is you can submit your own custom design so if you have a small business or some sort of uh you know art or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to advertise or show off to people in a social setting uh, get a hit kit with your logo on it maybe put a qr code on it this one in my hand has a qr code that takes people to sacredtexts.com where they can read the full uh, seven hermetic principles. So if that ever comes up in conversation, I could just say, hey, scan this with your phone instead of having to tell them how to spell Kybalion and look that up. Or most people, I don't know, maybe they don't know that sacredtext.com even exists. If you don't go there, I mean, tons of free books if you listen to a podcast like this you'll love it so yeah go and support our guest mike rainey his book on perks is available wherever you get books you should go to onperks.com. Uh, i imagine that's the best place to pick up the book because you'll also get a signed copy i think that's the only place to pick up the book onperks.com, and that's where You'll find the books. I'm going to put the link in the description so you can go right there. And uh, yeah, I've said too much. Oh, no, here it is on perks.com shipping now. And you can also get the audiobook, which features a bunch of other great comedians uh, like Mike's co host on Dad Meat, Tim Butterly, uh, Matt McCusker, who's joined me on this show, Ryan Shaner, who I met at helium in philly with sam tripoli he was the uh, host i think that night uh mary redzinski john mckeever of gillian keeves with shane gillis uh, drew montana of durag and the deer tag david james ryan foster chris wood and chip Tran- chip chantry who are all funny comedians that you can listen to on the previously mentioned podcast so pick it up pick it up help out mike rainey support the man who's clearly turned his life around got out of uh, rock bottom off perks pick up the book on perks anyways this is this going on far too long i need to cough uh most people have probably tuned out by now but if you're one of the few people listening at the end of the outro shout out to you you're awesome use the promo code crazy at checkout when picking up a hit kit and you'll save 15 percent off what i wish i could do that 
for Patreon, give a discount. But if you are strapped for cash and you're hard off and you're still listening and you want to support the show, but you can't afford to right now, uh, I understand. That's fine. Reach out to me and I will give you a uh, three month free trial of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Substack, which will get you some of the bonus episodes, bonus content, and the early releases of every episode. And then, you know, maybe in three months, things will change. So don't hesitate to support the show. The good karma will come back to you. Look what it's done for me. Back in the day, I was supporting, and I still do, uh, supporting the Higher Side Chats, Tinfoil Hat, uh, Greg Carlwood show. I said that already. The Higher Side Chats, uh, the Grimerica show. That's the G I was looking for. Uh, I've been a supporter of their show for the longest time. So, yeah, I, I mean, in a small way, I think that karma came back to me in the form of this podcast. So what can it do for you? What can it do for you out there? All I know is that you should immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals But I confess too much off of the tongue All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from In like a hundred years we went saw a before guns Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car They each they own, you can stick with your own ways But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid And I can see the red on your lip stain White skin, blue collar, pure American made Fuck it Keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Good morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for a military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, and ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up camp Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy Good morning in the net, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm on american and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me my family thinks I'm crazy Baby, baby, baby My family thinks I'm crazy Maybe, maybe, maybe Just maybe Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots with it's all kinda hazy Come on, he get in there feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm on American and shady 
Anything out, so you know, maybe I am. 